Our scripture today is from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. In our world today, uh, even in church world, in our culture, there's a lot of focus on, um, on growth and achievement, and, uh, and that, that can be good things. But there is maybe a word that seems missing from our vocabulary um, that I find important. It's, it's something that I think we all say that we would value, because, you know, who wouldn't? But it, I don't know that I ever hear the word Floating around in our culture is something that we aspire to. And that word is maturity. Mature. When was the last time that you heard someone say, I want to be mature? Other than in that context of someone saying, oh, real mature, Steve. <laughs> right? I mean, when, when do you, I can't think of, of one. Maybe you run in different circles than I do. But I think everybody would say, yeah, maturity. To be mature is a good thing, but who's trying? And who's naming that is something that we want to move towards. And since that's missing, my guess is, is none of us will get there by accident, right? If culture is swimming in a different direction, mostly towards growth, achievement, youth even, you know, is something that we spend a lot of money on, spend a lot of time trying to project youth and, and, um, and zeal, you know, and vitality, which is good, but if, if culture's stream is going in that direction, if we're going to swim upstream, that takes intentionality and effort. All, dead things move downstream with the flow of culture, right? It takes something living and intentional to swim upstream. And, and I think I want to be a part of that because it sounds like that's something that's missing for me a lot of the time. So I'm guessing for you too. And in, uh, in the Bible, there's an interesting church that I, I kind of have a heart for. It's the Ephesians. It's a church in Ephesus. And, um, and uh, the other churches, when, when they're planted in the book of Acts, this is, a book, uh, this is a church that's planted in the book of Acts, I think maybe chapter 18-ish, um, uh, maybe 17, 19, somewhere in that zone. And uh, usually when Paul shows up somewhere, you know, he starts preaching in the synagogue and he gets maybe a couple of believers and then he gets thrown out of the synagogue and then he starts preaching to the Gentiles and they kind of build this, this little community and it kind of grows. Not the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church just explodes from day one, literally out of a riot. That's how, there's this kind of like this explosion in the community, and there's this riot. It says people don't even know why they're there. That's how those kinds of things work. They're burning stuff, you know, and someone shows up to like a bonfire in the middle of the street. They're like, what's going on? And someone's like, we're planting a church. Great. Hop on board there. Lots of zeal in the Ephesian church. 
Maturity, though, it's interesting that out of this explosion, it seems like that's, that's one of their struggles that they have um, throughout, throughout Scripture. And, and Paul even gives them one of his dearest gifts. He gives them a young pastor named Timothy to, to lead them. And he has a real heart for this community. And they're struggling with maybe something that, that we're missing in our, uh, in our world today, in our culture, and in, in our church sometimes. And I, I just want to take a look at how he leads these people towards maturity because it's an upstream thing. It's an intentional thing. And in um, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I want to come back to that later. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That Paul tells this church, look, in this verse 1, he says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he's talking to the whole church. He's saying that this church has received a calling. Yes, you individually, you have a calling. Something that God in this season of your life is calling you to, to do. And as a church, he's inviting them into something that God has called them to do. Now, the, the word in Greek for church is ekklesia, which literally means the called out the community is called. So when God called you, what did he call you to? And, and apparently it's possible, it's possible for a community to miss their calling, to not live into the calling that they have received. That's, that's possible. It is also possible, apparently, for a community to get on board and say, God, we have heard you We've heard what you've called us to, and we are going to get on board with what you want us to be, that thing you called us out for. We want to get on board with that. Now, what that immediately sets aside is any sense of like um, latent consumerism in the church that says that I'm here for me. I mean, hopefully being a part of a church benefits you and benefits me, right? It should be good for us. But if that's our primary concern, we're going to miss it because God has called us out for something that isn't just about like our own, you know, benefit and feel goods. He's called us to something. So what is it? And when he says how we're going to live out the calling that he's, he's called us for, it's interesting that he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Well, that catches my attention, because that means what? We're going to have to bear with one another in love. He doesn't say just enjoy love, which immediately cuts against the grain of our idea of love, right? It, it, we... we center love solely on feelings and how you make me feel is love. But he seems to say that love is a commitment that we're going to have to bear with one another in love. That means we're going to have to carry the heavy work of love sometimes with one another. And he, um, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Guess what? That means you, if this is going to work, if we are going to live into the calling that God has for us, 
you and I are going to have to make every effort to maintain the, bond, the, the unity through the bond of the Spirit. Th- that means that a part of a church community takes intentional effort and work. Now, um, this isn't new. Uh, you know, this is something that this church has obviously been struggling with for 2,000 years, trying to figure that out. And uh, I, I was reminded of, when I was working on this, um, a, a book by um, German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, if you guys don't have Bonhoeffer on your radar, you should. Um, this was a man, he was in kind of the, the intellectual class in Germany when the Third Reich was coming to power. Um, like many people in Germany at the time, he saw what was coming, and he was like, this looks bad, I think I'll get out of town. And he moved um, to New York City and started worshiping in a black congregation in New York City uh, and, and heard um, this congregation sing, um, among other things, about how God rescued them, uh, using the Exodus metaphor, out of slavery and into salvation. And he was so captured by this, by this black congregation's view of the gospel that he moved back to Germany to be a spy for the Allies and to run an underground seminary to, to nurture the church under the Nazis. I mean, he ends up, I'll just skip ahead, he, running this, this underground seminary and being a spy for the Allies. Among other things, he, he prays with people that are working on assassination attempts for Hitler. That's complex. He ends up being captured and, and executed um, for his faith and for trying to love and save other people. And he writes this little book for his seminary called Life Together. It's this big. It's not big. And it's on this community that's trying to secretly live out the gospel together because he feels like that Christians need to be as organized and disciplined as the Third Reich was if they were going to be effective. And in this community, he has this, um, this brilliant little, little paragraph uh, that he's, he's writing to. He says, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community. Like this idealistic view of community is a hindrance to genuine community, and it must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. God hates this visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges his brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle and brethren. And he goes on to talk about people that have big dreams and an ideal for what Christian community is going to be like. It's just going to be awesome. They demand that God meets their dream. And they show up with a bunch of people who are like you and like me. We're kind of messy. Have you met you? Yes, you're a little messy. And when other people don't meet our demands, we assume that Christian community is a farce instead of falling in love with the thing itself and not our dream of what it should be. And that requires bearing with one 
another in love and making every effort to maintain the unity of the bond of the spirit. But that takes work that maybe, honestly, maybe we're not looking for in a church. Maybe we're just, we're hoping that church will inform us, that we will, in our own hearts, that we will feel closer to Jesus, that'll help us with some morality, that'll give us some grounding for life, and that is all well and good and not God's intention for you or for the church. He has more for us than that. He goes on, um, Paul, after talking about there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Remember last week we talked about um, both differentiation and connectedness. So here he's hammering on the connectedness, the one God, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. Uh, in, In verse seven, he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given just as Christ apportioned it. So he's moving from this conversation about connectedness to differentiation again, that we each have something that Christ has given us. Skipping down to verse 11, he says, so Christ himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we've reached the unity, until we've reached unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's that word. Where where else are you reading that besides scripture? Me? Nowhere else. It's, It's just here. It's just here. Until we reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by the wind of every teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful scheming. That he talks, it's interesting, about the job of the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, which his assumption, they're plural, is that every church has multiples of these. This apostolic idea that people are out on the margins, they know they are sent to create the kingdom of God, to build up the kingdom of God outside the walls of the church. That's that apostolic thing. The prophetic people who were like discerning the will of God in a community. The evangelists who were calling people in. We heard from Young Life earlier. They are just this brilliant example of what evangelism, reaching people with good news, looks like in our community. Pastors like the caring, shepherding individuals, the teachers, the people who know how to open the word of God and make it available to people. That their job is not to do the ministry. Did you hear that? Their job is not to do the ministry. It says their job is to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, which is definitely a flip. In Christendom, you know, like where where, um, there's this default idea that people are Christian, um, even by nationality, um, often like a marriage with the state, which always rips the soul right out of Christianity, Uh, this idea that that Christianity becomes professionalized, that there's an individual over there, and we pay them to do the ministry, is opposed to the gospel of Jesus and creates immaturity, keeps people as infants in their faith. But what helps us be built up is is that we are investing in you and you are investing in me so that you can live out the works of service and I can live out the works of service that God has called us to. And that is when we become no longer infants. 
And there's this devotion to one another. Uh, I, I guess I was just like on a, uh, on, on a World War II kick, and um, I was borrowing uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning um, from, uh, from Daniel, one of our staff members, for a couple of weeks. Um, good book. Uh, check it out. It like re-blew up a couple of years ago. Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Don't know if y'all kind of saw that kicking around. And um, he was a prisoner in Auschwitz um, and obviously survived. And the first bit of the book is him recounting what he saw, and how people survived, the people that survived, what was going on there. And then the second half of the book is his approach and theory to um, therapy and mental health that flows out of that. And he compares and contrasts himself um, with uh, Freud and Adler, who were contemporaries who split apart because of some differences. And he says that, that Freud's central idea, as he puts it, is the will to pleasure, that the problem with people, the thing that is in somebody um, that is uh, dysfunctional or hurting is that they did not get to fulfill their own desires and that they will be made right when they get to fulfill their own desires, when the pleasure that they're seeking is what they have. Now, I would argue that our culture has bought this wholesale and by the way, that most of the church has too. That when we get to live out what is inside of us, that we will be made whole and it is crippling all of us together. And Adler, who's I like a little more, talks about um, community and connection to community, but specifically focuses on maybe people's sense of inferiority and talks about that dysfunction comes um, from our lack of, uh, of self-confidence and agency in our life. And he talks about the will to power that will make, what will make people right is that they can take power and control and assertiveness and agency in their own life. And there is good things about that. There's good things about that. But is that, it? Is that where health and maturity comes from? The, the ability to have power over my own life. Viktor Frankl, he says, the people that were able to survive and have hope in Auschwitz had what he calls the will to meaning which means that they found meaning in being responsible to one another. That what made them mature and whole is that they were responsible to each other. That I will care for you and you will care for me. And that, that is not something that we know how to do. This, uh, we are looking for an exchange to help us fulfill our our pleasure and our desires, or maybe to gain power. We're more Freud and Adler. Instead of like, I am here to be responsible to you, and you are here to be responsible to me. A friend of mine in the recovery community a couple years ago invited me to like a Bible study recovery meeting thing. And so I, I'm there, you know, and I'm, I'm there with the recovery crowd. Um, and, uh, and there was this, um, like at the beginning, they said, write your name on a piece of paper and we'll put it in the hat. Um, and we'll draw it out at the end, and we'll get a gift. You'll get a gift card if we pick your name, you know. And you can go to like a is like a you know standard, regular place to get some food in town. And I'm looking at the people there, thinking I don't want to take away their chance to get that, you know, because my life's pretty solid. And so I didn't I didn't want to put my name in, in the hat. And my friend, he said he said be a part, be a part. And I said no, I don't. I'm fine. I don't. He said no, please be. Apart, and I said, I don't, I don't want to take away this from anyone. And his voice changed, and he kind of leaned in. He said, "Do not be better than these people."
I put my name in the hat. Because I didn't, I didn't want to be apart because I saw myself as not needing. And what binds a recovery community together is there, these are people that say, I need you. I need you. And how are you with the church, with the local church, with, with this community? Are you on an exchange system or are you willing to be apart? To put your name, to be responsible to one another. You know, people that are only seeking their own pleasure or power, which is what our world, regardless of what your political affiliation or spectrum is, regardless of where you are in our society, is often so built on this individualism idea. And when we get a lot of people who are individuals, who are individualistic, who are only seeking their own dreams and desires and looking for their own fulfillment and their own power, when you get a lot of them together, you don't get community, you get tribalism. Individuals, individualistically collected together, when they all end up in the same space, they, that becomes tribalism, where all of the focus is on keeping out those crazy people over there. This is called cable news. Right? All of the focus is on, is on those keeping those people out or keeping those people down. This happens obviously on a national political scale. We've been making all kinds of, of effort in that arena over the last few years around this. Um, you, you know, but, but it happens in families, it can happen in your workplace, it can happen in your friends. Tribalism is just individualistic people that happen to end up in the same space that are hoping that everyone else will help them achieve their own pleasure or power. But when we are committed to mutual love, mutual love, to equipping each other for the works of service that you are called to and that I am called to, that builds community which means unity with. That means that the focus isn't on the outside. The focus is on serving and loving each other. Mutual love produces community. And when this happens, there is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Now, obviously, this hits on an extremely practical level. Who has time? Who has time? Who has time? How do you do this? How do you do this? So I, just, I wanted to invite a couple of friends up, um, that Haley and Jamie Russell, um, who are people in our church that I just thought, who are people that they don't have time either, but they make time? And I just, I just wanted to ask them a few questions. Will you all welcome Haley and Jamie? So um, a little bit um, about uh, you guys, um, both professionals, right? Could you share a little bit about your work? Uh, Jamie and I both work for Cape Public Schools. Um, I serve as an assistant principal at the junior high here in town. She's my son's assistant principal. <laughs> yeah. And I uh, just started this year as the assistant superintendent of academic services. Yeah, good and so, deal. And you have a family? You have oh, yeah. how many kids? Three, three. Eight, six, and three. Yeah. Eight, six, and three. So you guys are like in it, right? Daily. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And uh, you're still trying to figure out all of the things from, well, uh, we won't go into all the details, right? And, uh, but all of the things. But I see you guys, you have served in children's ministry, student ministry. Um, you take care of people outside of the church. You, I've seen you help run 
cameras here. I've seen you serve on leadership teams that speak into discernment. Why? What's the, what do you value that is causing you to make time? I think a lot of it comes back to, you know, where you put your, your efforts and what you do. Is, it shows where your value is. Um, and I think that, you know, the church offers so much to everybody uh, inside and outside of the church. And any, any way that we can, we can give back uh, and, and, sh- and show God's love to other people, that's where, where we should put our, our efforts. Hmm. And so, I think a lot of times I think of, you know, I served in children's ministry for a long time and then we had kids and you need that time away from them sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I noticed. When, Me so- too. Yeah. Yeah. when somebody else is doing that as well, you feel that. So not only is it that we find places that we can serve in, but we know that we're being fulfilled by somebody else watching our kids for mm-hmm. an hour. Mm-hmm. Which is often very necessary. Yeah, so it's that mutual thing. And so how do, you, how do you figure out what to give up? Maybe that's not even the right angle on the question. I mean, what are some of the things that you've had to say no to to be able to invest in everyone here? We eat a lot of takeout. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but I mean, I have given up time in, in the kitchen, you know, doing those things because... We know how important it is. Um, Jamie and I were talking before, and I told you, um, when I signed up for Rooted, it was one of those, I love the idea, I want to do this, but Mm -hmm. do I really have time? Um, And we showed up the first night, and I looked at Jamie in the parking lot, and I said, I don't know. Like, I I don't know if I can commit to 10 weeks of this. And we went in, and suddenly you have that priority of this is something – that I need to do, that I want to do, and the Lord provides time. It's just a matter of you asking him for that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and I mean, before before we were together and before I, you know, started at LaCroix, one of the things that I did a lot was uh, music. Uh, it was something that, that I love to do, and uh, but but something in me said that, you know, that's not where God wants you to, to, to spend your time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just to be able to, to you know, set that aside and focus on our family and focus on, on the church and, 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 you know, move where, where God wants us to go. Yeah. Any advice for people that they legitimately could look at their life and say, that sounds great. I don't know. I don't know how to make space. I think you said it best just a few minutes ago. We need you. Um, It's one of those that if you have prayerful consideration, the Lord will provide the time um, in the area that He's speaking to you about how we need you here. And just if, if, if you are, uh, you feel like you're being led to do something, just do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Or, I mean, everything I do is a mess, I feel like, sometimes. And, and so that's fine. You just lean into that yeah. um, and, and be okay with that. God provides. Yeah. I imagine that a lot of people wait to be asked, and I understand why. I understand why, because, you know, it's, but um, one of the challenges with staff is we don't know who to ask a lot of the time. You know, we only know the couple of people we know. Um, and uh, so how, how have you, like, taken initiative on that? I would, I would say we just even working with cameras, uh, we went through Rooted, and, and one of the things was we had the, the, uh, the gifts week and, and yeah. went through and kind of had a, a gifts fair. And I was like, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm not working with the youth now. Um, and I was looking for to jump back in and to to serve and uh, you know talk to some of the guys and, and just jumped in and said I, hmm. 
haven't, you know, I, that's I'm good. So you had, there was I a process that helped you. There was a process that yeah. helped me. Yeah. Okay. So um, quick plug. Yeah. And on the bulletin that you got in, the handout that you got in, you can scan the QR code or you can go to the connect area afterwards. And we have a connections process that'll walk you through a spiritual gifts discernment um, kind of inventory. And somebody will help you find maybe a good fit to start trying inside the walls, outside the walls of the church, somewhere like Young Life, somewhere inside the walls of the church. I love people. And I saw check-in, where I currently spend a lot of Sundays at, as a place of this is somewhere I can connect with people um, and meet people in the church that I didn't necessarily know or see. And so not only do I have a chance to meet their kids, but I get to meet them. And so that, for me, was the easy transition. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you for loving our community outside the church. Thank you for loving us inside the church. Thank you for serving people well. Good. Will you guys thank Jamie and Haley? Um, as Paul continues in Ephesians, uh, picking back up in 14, he says, then when we are equipped for the works of service that we're all called to, you and me, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as you do the work that you have inside the body of Christ, And as I do the same, we are being built up to be like Jesus in the world. Like Jesus in the world. And one of the things that's on my mind is that the gospel of Jesus needs to be seen, not just heard. Yes, heard, but it needs to be seen. That we, God offers us grace. We do not earn our salvation. We do not earn our place with him. He simply serves and invites us in. And if he, in Philippians 2, when it talks about the mind of Christ, it talks about that God became a servant, emptied himself, and went all the way to the cross for us. And that when we live that out, we see that because God gives us grace and salvation, because we're willing to be in community with him and surrender to him, we need to do the same for each other. And I, I mean, I think about like Mr. Pellington, who when I was in seventh grade, taught our Bible study and showed me what it means to love the word of God. And when my home wasn't safe, it was, it was people in our church that, that me and my brother would go sleep on their floors when we were in middle school because my home was a mess. And when I was growing up and I would be in my friends' homes and I would see their dads act like godly men, I learned what it means to be a godly man. And when my grandparents started a soup kitchen in North Carolina and would have me come and serve and sit at the tables with and spend time with people who would not have been eating otherwise. It showed me what it means to serve. And they were building me up so that I could live a life, hopefully, that God has called me to. 
And when the local church does its thing, there is nothing like it. Don't miss it. I want, I want our town, I want the surrounding area and the whole county and, and southeast Missouri to see the gospel. And what is it going to look like when a group of people who each are doing its part serve one another in love, that are equipped to do the works of service and not putting the, the things that the world has told us we have to have as a priority over living out the gospel in front of people that need salvation and need to know the love of God and the love of the body of Christ. Not just Christ in the clouds, but Christ here in flesh and bone. One of the people that has made a large impact on my life, and we'll close with this. Um, his name's Robert Mulholland, Bob Mulholland. He came and taught here a while back. He's since passed away. He wrote what is, um, is the best little handbook on spiritual formation, growing in Christ, that I know of. It's called Invitation to a Journey. And in there, he, he writes this definition of spiritual formation or what it means to grow in Christ. That's kind of become like a pretty standard definition in church circles. Um, and he says this, he says, spiritual formation, each, each of these words is really well chosen, is the process of being conformed. So I'm not in control, I am being, I'm letting God shape me. Being conformed to the image of Christ. Would you say these last words with me? For the sake of of others for the sake of others what cuts against the grain of our own pride and the dysfunction of the world more than those last words that Christ has called you and me to serve one another in love that as he shapes us into the image of Jesus it is for the sake of others why because God himself offers himself for the sake of others. And that changes and defines everything. Let's pray together. Lord God, would you help us to hear you, like wake us up that you have made us for the sake of others, that we are responsible to one another and that that mutual love will create community bound together by the good news of the cross of Jesus and the empty tomb that we can offer your love over and over and over again to each other and to a world in need. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you liked this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out lacroixchurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.